2: It really makes no sense why I'm a Christian, apart from the fact that God wanted me to be one. The Profile.
1: Ooh. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Where faith comes to
3: life. Hello, and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Tola Mbakwain. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, faith, and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, the latest news, reviews, columnists, and more. To request a free sample copy of the latest issue, visit premierchristianity.com slash freesample. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie is an American Christian speaker, poet, and author who is well known for her teachings on sexuality as someone who was formerly same-sex attracted. She detailed all of that in her book, Gay Girl, Good God. I sat down with Jackie to delve a little bit deeper into her journey to faith, and also we had a chat about her brand new book, Holier Than Thou. Okay, Jackie, so let's just start from the beginning. What what is your childhood and your formative years like in terms of, like, family dynamics and your faith?
2: Hmm. Uh, family dynamics, I was raised in a single parent home. Uh, my father was... Uh, incredibly inconsistent, Uh, meaning he would, you know, be in my life for a month or two and then leave and be gone for a few years and come back. And so, uh, you know, just typical uh, fatherlessness (laughs) and the rejection and abandonment that comes from that. But my mother, uh, she was completely the opposite. Uh, She was present. She worked hard. She you know, would let me talk her ear off all night and day. We went on trips all the time. So it was really this kind of uh, two extremes, Mm -hmm. I think, when it came to the way I was parented. As far as faith, uh, my family isn't Christian in so far as they live it, you know? I think they Mm -hmm. will claim Christianity just because that's what Black people do. Uh, But my Aunt Merle was my first introduction uh, to the Christian faith because she actually lived differently than everybody I knew. And she would take me to church with her every Sunday up until I got old enough to be able to stay at home um because i wasn't just gonna willingly go to church but uh yeah i think seeing her life and seeing church and it was a it was a baptist church but they function really pentecostal like and so it was always fun to watch them shout and scream and run and just all the stuff you know and so yeah that i I think that's as far as i went as far as faith yeah
3: and so tell me um faith-wise how did you get to where you are now
2: Yeah. The spirit of the living God, truly. Uh, well, one, I I think observing my aunt's life and even the small minor things that they taught me in Sunday school, I think it, I think it had a major effect on my conscience Mm -hmm. so that when I did kind of move through life and do whatever I wanted to do, um, there was always this nudge in the back of my mind that there is so much more to life than this, uh, that God, um, does not like sin, <laughs> that he he prefers righteousness. But there was this block because nobody ever told me how to obey as far, like no one ever preached to me a gospel that was supernatural in nature. You know what I'm saying? So I felt like, oh, to make God happy, I just have to do all the right things. But it's like, that wasn't even natural to me because I didn't have a new nature. (laughs) I didn't have a heart of flesh, I had a heart of stone. And so it was the Lord himself that came to meet me in my room when I was 19 and basically showed me that all of my sin uh, would be the death of me. Uh, But then I saw that God had to be a better alternative to everything that I loved and enjoyed. And again, the emphasis is on that was the work of the spirit. It really makes no sense why I'm a Christian apart from the fact that God wanted me to be one. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up being a Christian, is the Lord made this sinful, sinful girl into a saint. That's awesome.
3: <laughs> and so you're widely known for being so open about the time in your life when you were same-sex attracted. Um, tell me, when. at what point did you realize
2: that it was a struggle, and how did you overcome it? Uh it's always hard to place because it was early. So it was kindergarten, first grade, second grade, some somewhere around uh, that stage when I, you know, it was just like, oh, I like girls too. (laughs) And I just, it wasn't like I was, you know, a six, seven, eight year old is not making themselves have these kinds of affections. They're just, they're just there. Um, But again, being in a church environment, I quickly learned that this is not something that you embrace out loud, unless you wanna be, you know, marginalized and uh, talked about and all the things. Uh, But when I became actively a lesbian or when I was pursuing it, it was around high school and I very much enjoyed myself. It felt free, it felt rebellious, it felt uh, natural to a certain degree. Um, But as far as overcoming it, I like to parse out terms like that because I think, there's kind of this uh, conversion therapy ethic and there's this over-spiritualization of uh, same-sex attraction, which says that you can be cured or you can be completely delivered. And I think the language of deliverance has actually confused and discouraged a lot of people away from true, uh, what's the word? True, um, I don't know, fruitfulness. Because even in deliverance in the scriptures, it is not deliverance from temptation in terms of you come to Christ and therefore you will have a temptationless Christianity. That just doesn't exist in the Bible. If that's the case, why would God tell us to take up our cross daily and die, to, to cast our cares onto him, to gouge out our eyes? Meaning there's always something to give back to God because there's always temptations that the human experience will involve. Um, so my overcoming is a constant death to self it is that uh deliverance was not that god delivered me from temptations is that he gave me the power to flee them and he gave me the desire to want him more than everything i'm tempted to leave him for and so i think if that was the way it was presented then we would have a much more realistic view of what it means to be a christian with certain desires hope that makes sense yeah
3: yeah yeah so it's interesting you mentioned the words conversion therapy because that's something something that's been a big, big discussion here in the UK. The UK government says um, they want to ban it. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts on conversion therapy?
2: I'm not a fan. Um, Well, one conversion therapy uh, is I don't know the, the the proper definition, but it's it's basically saying that through you know psychotherapy or counseling or religious means uh, that we can make or we can change a person's sexuality. People will lump people like me uh, into that conversation, but I've never said that your orientation will change. Never, because the Bible doesn't say it. <laughs> the, the Bible says that you will change, but you still have the same body. So you'll still have the same affections and the same temptations we still have a real devil that's that's he's not just gonna left you left you off the hook just because you want to become a christian right (laughs) and so my problem with conversion therapy is it either places uh uh, same-sex desires in the realm of trauma which is your mother was, you know, aggressive or not nurturing or you were abused and all those things. And if it exists in the realm of trauma, that means it doesn't exist in the realm of sin. And so all that someone needs to, to get is counsel. They just need to be healed of their trauma to therefore be straight. Uh, but no, like we experience same sex desires because sin exists in the world. And so no amount of counseling will give us a heart of flesh. No amount of counseling will give us a heart of stone. The real conversion, as the Bible explains it, is the Holy Spirit regenerates our heart, giving us a new heart, making us a new creature where we are then empowered to flee our temptations. But the other side of the coin is that nowhere in the scripture, again, is heterosexuality exalted as if that is moral purity. Heterosexuals have a problem with perversion too, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. emphasis <laughs> The emphasis cannot be, let's make you straight. The emphasis must be, how can I help you be holy? That is a completely different uh, approach. And I think one uh, that is more biblical. Jackie,
3: have you ever questioned why God allowed you to be same-sex attracted? I
2: don't know. Um, That's a really big question, you know? Uh, yeah, I haven't. I just, yeah, I no, don't. I don't know. I just I think it's just I'm I'm human, and I think everybody has their particular leanings towards uh, a particular sin, and I see that a lot, even in my children. You know, when my daughter Eden, uh, who's six now, when she was one, she she was so strong-willed. Her leaning was toward uh, an authoritarian rebellion, right? Um, My child, Autumn, is completely different. Her leaning is toward timidity, uh, lacking fear, lacking courage. Both of those are sinful, potentially, right? But on the other side of it, both of those can be stewarded in such a way where in her timidity, she's observant. In her timidity, she's aware. In her timidity, she might be a really good intercessor one day in Eden's authoritarian rebellion, there's a leader that needs to be brought out of it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, God is is sovereign, but all things do work together for good. And I see it working together for good, so I'm not mad. So again, like we talked about, you're very
3: open about um, teachings on sexuality, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you get some backlash. How do you handle that?
2: She said sometimes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's expected. Uh, uh, The Bible says that the gospel is foolish to those who are perishing. It says that the the, uh, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory that is in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Uh, And so I I have a framework that everything I'm saying sounds stupid and offensive. And I actually understand that myself because it does. <laughs> like to say that you can't love who you want to love, that you can't marry who you want to marry. When you take God out of the out of the equation, it it sounds archaic. It, it sounds dogmatic. It sounds like all of these things. But when you bring God back into the uh, the occasion, and you look at Genesis one through two and and God's original intention and design not only for our bodies but our sexuality, I have to speak on it because it's true, it's true that God has called us to love him in both mind, body, and soul. And so I don't, I don't get mad, it's just, that's a part of the thing. And truly they're not mad at me, I'm an ambassador. They're mad at God. And that's, that's something that God himself has to deal with.
3: So. Did you ever, cause you know, now you're a wife, you're a mom, you're an author, speaker, conference host, you do so much. Did you ever think, let's say 10 years ago, that you would be who you are today?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I hoped I would, because I was struggling. Man, those those early days of faith were hard, Uh, because you're a baby trying to learn how to use your legs for the first time. Uh, But people kept telling me this would happen. I got so many prophecies that, you know, the Lord would use me widely and all these things. And even when I was eight, somebody stopped my mother at a department store and said that uh, the Lord is going to use your daughter greatly for his kingdom. I was eight, I was a Christian. And so, I don't know, like, eh, I didn't, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm not as impressed by the scope of God's use. I, I, I try to be more impressed by the fact that God is simply keeping me, period because there's a lot of people that are being used broadly and have a ratchet, terrible trash, private life. So for me, that's more the thing like, man, God, I'm still like being holy in real life. And so thank you for that.
3: (laughs) That's good. You're really active on social media. One of the things that I've seen that you've talked about is the difference between um, Jackie, that was a baby Christian and how she shared the gospel and how Jackie shares the gospel now give me some examples of that
2: oh I was terrible um yeah I just I I talked about hell a lot I condemned people like uh my time hop I was on Facebook and I think it was like it was one of those award shows and it was like people yelling louder for Michael Jackson than they do for Jesus y'all need to repent and uh, I, I made a status that Martin Luther King was a, a habitual adulterer and a famous hypocrite. Just really intense.
4: <laughs>
2: so, And what you're seeing is my boldness, yeah. unrefined. right? Yeah. And people will say, well, some of what you're saying is true. What's wrong with that? And it's like, even if it's true, the way I did it, was it received? Mm-hmm. Was it heard? Was it understood? And I, I think what I've learned now through discipleship and just relationship and time is that you shouldn't just be honest, but also winsome. Meaning the, tr- the truth is already offensive by itself. So I don't need to add offense to offense. What I need to do is deliver it to you in such a way where you're at least willing to consider what you don't wanna hear naturally. And so that's the primary difference. And it's more gospel oriented. Uh, because I I think the the legalistic side of me is like, look at y'all listening to all this secular music and doing all this type of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but let's say they stop listening to secular music and their heart is the same. What have you accomplished? And so now I think if you listen to my ministry, it's, it's much more about the reasons and the roots and the belief systems that lead us to behave in the ways that we behave, because I believe that that actually is just more comprehensive and helping people to walk faithfully.
3: Talk to me about your conference, Glory. What, what is that
2: all about? Oh, yeah. So uh, I went to Lifeway a couple of years ago and said, I want to create an event where I, I st- I'm still able to teach, uh, but I don't have to travel as much. Um, and so Glory kind of came out of that. And w- I'm not going to say it's set apart from, because that sounds arrogant, but One of the distinctives of glory is that every year glory will center around some doctrine around the nature of God. So it's not necessarily topical, but it's like, no, when you come to this conference, you're going to learn about God himself. So, for example, this year uh, we are doing the holiness of God. Next year, which people don't know, uh, I'm going to do a typology, which is seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and so that's and it's very black church. And so gospel, yelling, organs, all the things uh, like I just wanted there to be some representation of the black church in the conference space that is really rare, I think, in American Christianity.
3: Okay, so now let's move on to your new book, Holy Them Now. I read it. Yeah. It's great.
2: It's amazing.
3: Thank you so Thank much. You. Um, so when I think about the term or the saying holier than thou, mm-hmm. um, I think it's something that people say it can be positive, saying, oh, no, you know, describing someone who has high morals, but it also can be negative, kind of describing someone who has high morals as a Christian, but also maybe looks down on others who, mm-hmm. whose values aren't as mm-hmm. high as theirs.
2: So how did you come up with this title? I didn't, actually. My original title was God Can't Lie but that kind of narrowed my ability to talk about holiness broadly. And so my editor texted me or called me. And so what about holier than thou? I was like, wow, that's very provocative. Um, Especially considering that the book isn't about holy Christians, but God, because he is holier than us. (laughs) So it's really just taking this title and putting it on the one that it belongs to. What makes someone holy? Um well holiness conveys the idea of separateness. It, it, the, the root word of it is to cut or to separate. And so to be holy like God is to be separated and set apart from all that is secular. And not only secular music, but secular as in godless, uh, all that is common, all that is worldly, all that is unlike him. Um, and in your separateness unto God than to be sanctified for holy use. In first Corinthians 11, for example, it says you were washed and you were sanctified, meaning God has set you apart, not only just to be with God, but to also be useful to God's glory. And so that's that's really what it means. It isn't just that we don't do what the world does, is that we're just simply different. And in our difference, we affect the world in a way that uh, no one else but saints can. Why
3: do you think sometimes Christians neglect to respect God's holiness?
2: Because we neg- we don't respect God. <laughs> like, and that's a part of our problem. And, and I don't say that in a condescending way. I'm being really precise in saying that uh, because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, we come into the world with a very low view of God and a high view of everything else that God has made. And so it's, 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 it's the spirit's work and us coming along the, inside the spirit to renew our minds and reorient ourselves to see that, no, like God really is, is better than everything. And I think by having a disposition that honors and esteems God over and above everything that God has made, then naturally you will want and delight in and worship everything God has revealed himself to be, including his holiness
3: in what ways can a christian um i guess disrespect god's holiness you know you know we're told to come as we are is me lying in bed just praying silently in my head not (laughs) respecting god's holiness should i be you know on the ground knees down lifting my you know you know what i
2: mean yeah those are all matters of motive right because uh, that's a part of the holier than thou tendency of people, which is they judge your holiness based on external things. When you can't see my heart, like, for example, I remember how I would go to church and be in a worship service and I would legit be meditating on the things of God but because I wasn't yelling and because I wasn't raising my hand and because I wasn't weeping or speaking in tongues, it was presumed that I was somehow less spiritual than the next person. And it's just like, I'm not trying to impress y'all though. Like I'm really just trying to talk to the, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think the, the easiest way to discern if we are disrespecting God's holiness is if we are sinning against him, Period. You know, what is the lust of the flesh? What is the lust of the eye? What is the pride of life? What does the flesh look like? Idolatry, sexual immorality, perversion, drunkenness, uh, greed, not loving your neighbor. Like these are the ways that we disrespect the holiness of God. Now, if you want to lay down and pray, uh, that might be a spirit of laziness. So you need to discern (laughs) (laughs) like am I just kind of trying to play with God right now like let me make sure I pray before bed uh and if that's the case you need to kill that and go ahead get up and get on your knees Mm -hmm. do you think
3: um different church denominations and also different generations have the difference between how they respect God's holiness
2: great question um I think so because I think denominations exist because you have these people, you know, saying whether it's Baptists, you know, like we are going to honor and esteem baptism as an integral part of the Christian faith. Or you have uh, you know, apostolics or Pentecostals who is like the the spirit and you know, all of these outward manifestations of gifts and all of that, like that's to them honoring, and I'm not saying anybody is wrong or right. I'm just saying the denominations were created on people making distinctives or exalting the distinctives to say that these are important in our honoring of God. I think uh, generations definitely have different experiences. Like if you know a Christian over probably 60, the way we dress in church is like a problem to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we, are reading bibles on our phones and we don't have a, a like a kjv thick little situation like there's a there's a bunch of different gaps uh there but that's okay cuz we're going to be the same way mm-hmm. us, us millennials we're, we're judging gen uh it gen z already and how they do yeah. stuff <laughs> <So>.
3: that's true <laughs> um is there anything special that god
2: revealed to you while writing this book uh everything um i guess if there was anything particularly that stood out, the chapter on holy justice. And I wanted to answer the question of how does like, why does justice matter? How does it reveal God's holiness? And I think a lot of times when we talk about uh, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is all of this like, God was so judgmental, and so intense in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, he's just love, love, love. And it's as if God is just this super wrathful God, right? Which is to say that God is a really just God. But as I really started to read it, I'm like, wow, God has actually been more merciful than we give him credit for. Um, Adam and Eve weren't killed after they fell. Lot wasn't murdered. David wasn't murdered. Like Israel even. Israel didn't deserve to be delivered. They were delivered because God had grace, God elected them, therefore He preserved them. That was all his doing, nothing that they earned or or, or merited and I, I I write about in the book how god uh we are so used to God's patience and so used to God's kindness that we are more shocked by when He chooses to exact justice than we are by the fact that he has been patient for a very long time. The world is still here, that should say a lot, right and so that was deep to me to see that, wow, God is, is way more patient and way more kind than I have ever imagined. And then it convicts you because you realize you're not that patient. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, justice. Somebody, you know, doesn't call you back, justice. It's like, we are actually more prone to vengeance than God actually has shown himself to be. And so that, I think that messed me up. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. What's the main thing that you want people to get from this book?
2: Um, a theological uh, understanding of the nature of God that also engages their affections, because I, it's not enough to just know it. I, I, I want it to move down into your heart and actually change how you live and how you think, how you speak, how you behave. So that's it.
3: That was Jackie Hill-Perry speaking to me, Tola and Backway here on Premier Christian Radio. We hope you enjoyed this interview. Stay tuned for another interview coming up next.
4: More.
2: more.
3: More.
4: More. 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 More.
3: We often want more, but is it always a bad thing? Isn't wanting more knowledge a good thing? What
1: about more understanding? More perspective. More wisdom. More action.
0: More inclusion. Discover more of the good things at the brand new Premier Christianity magazine website. So much more than a monthly magazine, Premier Christianity website helps you go deeper in your faith and is full of inspiration of what God is doing in the world today.
1: It's Premier Christianity, but so much more.
0: Register today at premierchristianity.com.
1: premierchristianity.com The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Good afternoon, you're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian magazine and we've got an amazing special offer just for you. If you would like to read interviews with fascinating Christians, stay up to date with the latest news and get insights from our regular columnists including Jeff Lucas and Wren Collective's Chris Llewellyn, you can subscribe to Premier Christianity for just £1 a month. £1 a month for your first three months, a special offer, limited time we're running this offer just for this summer, so take advantage right now at premierchristianity.com and click on subscribe, you'll get the print magazine and full digital access all for just £1 a month at premierchristianity.com. We just heard a moment ago from Jackie Hill-Perry, who was in conversation with Premiers Toller and Backway. Hope you enjoyed their chat. And coming up now in part two, we've got another great interview for you. This time, Cassandra has been speaking to the British evangelist Daniel Chand. Let's have a listen to their conversation now
4: with me now is the managing director of walking like jesus ministries he speaks at conferences churches he's had stints on tv he's been an evangelist he is an evangelist should i say he's traveled to over 15 countries he just said that he got back from the usa which is amazing ministered to thousands of people across the whole of the world it's evangelist daniel chand welcome
0: great to be with you
4: yeah, man, it's I'm I'm excited because we were saying that we've been trying to do this since like <laughs> September 2020. Yeah. Now it's July 2021, so it's a long time. But I'm I'm excited to talk to you, man.
0: Um, nah, absolutely. How are you? Doing good, Jenna, Doing good. Like it's it's been so busy. Like it's already been such a full on year. Mm. <laughs> like December, God started to speak to us about going to the US. So um, we slipped off in December and um, we went with a one-way ticket. So um, oh, wow. didn't yeah. So we just went by faith. We just felt God tell us to go and had no schedule, no itinerary. so it was one of them complete faith moves. Wow. And um, we got to Miami, Florida, and God just started opening up doors to work with different churches, outreaches. so we traveled. The whole East Coast from Florida to Maryland, Baltimore to New York, New Jersey and, you know, 20 hour road trips and all of that. It was quite something. So, um, yeah, we're doing well back in England now. So I'm just looking forward to all that God is going to do really through outreaches, tent revival and all of that. But me personally, I've, I've been doing well, to be honest. Thanks for asking. You,
4: well. you look very well. Yeah.
0: Thanks. What about yourself? How are you?
4: I mean, I'm all right. Yeah, I got to complain. Life is life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Life
4: Just getting on with it. But um, I love when people say that they didn't have a plan and they just did something and God opened doors. I always find that really just very inspiring because I think we often plan things and we try to plan it all out. But if God says do something, can you just go and do it? He will make a way for something to happen, which... I love when people have the actual experience and they can share that because it's inspiring um to just listen to God's voice and not overthink it so much.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think sometimes people can put God around their schedule rather than their schedule being around God. And then sometimes you just gotta throw your schedule out of the way and just just God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, exactly.
4: I want to talk a bit about the ministry. Um, was that part of your life schedule? Was this something that God gave you an idea for and you just ran with it and now here you are?
0: Absolutely not, to be honest. <laughs> I was never planning to be in ministry or anything like that. And it was while I was um, 19 years old, I um, encountered the Lord. I was actually on the way to prison for eight years, just mm-hmm. living a violent life around the wrong crowds and just all of that. And then um, while I was on bail that a friend of mine shared the gospel with me in North London. And um, yeah, in the darkest point of my life, I was still on bail at the time. I gave my life to Jesus, got born again. And um, yeah, there were still battles in my life. It, you know, I felt like I took one step forward towards Christ and all of hell was just breaking loose. You know, attacks, God sending people, just living in sin, prodigal. It just it was like yeah just the attacks got even more um you know i mean even more and more intense and stuff so um but then anyway pushed through that and just really got plugged into a church um got discipled and then eventually got baptized in the holy spirit and i think that's where i I, it changed You know, i really received that power you know over sin over just you know not saying that anyone's perfect but when the holy spirit came it It gave that strength, you know, to say no, to even pray for the sick and, you know, go out evangelizing. It gave me a boldness. It it really, really helped. And then, um, yeah, and even at that point, really, I still wasn't thinking ministry. Oh, one day I want to be in ministry or preaching in front of thousands or traveling to X amount of countries. For me, it was just like, wow, Lord, you changed my life. Like that emptiness in my heart that I tried to fill with drugs, partying, women, all of that, that emptiness has been now filled with the love of Jesus. And, you know, no substance could satisfy my soul, the emptiness in me, no sort of buzz, no nothing could satisfy me the way you have, God. So I'm going to live for you and I'm going to tell others about you. So it was literally from that, like it was from a really place of simplicity, like, God, you've touched me, you've changed me, you've saved me. So Now I want to share that. So pretty much immediately just started going out on the streets, sharing it, you know, without it being known as evangelism, just like, yeah. And then from that point, um, people started to be healed on the streets, just unbelievers, Muslims, just like quite raw, you know, quite a raw side of ministry outside of the four walls of the church. And um, yeah, eventually we started traveling across different areas of London, you know, very dangerous areas, um, like just, just all over, really. And then eventually God started opening up doors. And then that's then it was from that point, it was really, I, I always say ministry was birthed, organically birthed. It wasn't something that was manufactured or something that we tried to do, you know. So um, and then, yeah, here we are, you know, almost um, 10 years later, I haven't taken our foot off the gas, really, um, just Going for it, you know?
4: So, oh, that is such an incredible story. That is, it's one of the ones where it's just very organic and it's, yeah, it is what it is. It's a wonderful testimony. Um, was you from a Christian background? Like, are your family Christian or was it just a very random encounter with God that someone just introduced you and you were like, wow, this is what I want to do?
0: Yeah, no, the family are from a Catholic background background so um, yeah obviously hear about Christ but it's in a very religious sort of way and it's not really you know like the power of God and evangelism and all of that stuff so um, yeah but once I did encounter the Lord like I was going out on the streets for a little bit and then God did start to put my family on my heart so I think it was one of the sort of um, Christmas New Year gatherings when all the family was together in my grandma's home and I think that was when you know, I started sharing the gospel with them, you know, and, and yeah, it was a supernatural moment where the Holy Spirit just started to touch touch my cousins, my aunties and, and everyone in the room. And um, yeah, it was a powerful moment. So It was a Catholic background, but um, and like even with my parents, they did believe, but it was very nominal. There was a lot of religion, a lot of, you know, lifestyle of kind of um, just, yeah, in the world, really, to be honest. So, yeah.
4: Well man that's amazing and it's amazing as well when you watch it happen through your family Mm. um, Mm. you can be the one the catalyst to kind of bring God into your family in that new way because a lot of times I mean a lot of us I would maybe say we claim that we're Christians we have that Christian faith and there was a study once not even that long ago in fact when they were asking people in the UK um, what their religion is and a lot of people said yeah I'm a Christian but I don't really mm. know Jesus. <laughs>
0: like exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah,
4: yeah, the yeah. So when you're able to bring Jesus and the power of Jesus to other people, yeah. open mm. their eyes in that way. It's a really powerful thing, man. I'm, I'm happy that your family had that experience. Um yeah. You have a really diverse ministry, which is the first thing that caught me, to be fair, when I wanted to speak to you way back in September, um, Mm. because there was a lot of talks about race and diversifying the church. And I wanted to ask um, your experience with that. Was that an intentional thing or has that just been how it's
0: happened? You know what? It's it's interesting you say that because quite a few people bring up this point point. Like in our services and even within our ministry team, like it's just a complete mix, you know what I mean? Like whether they're people from African descent, Indian descent, Caribbean descent, even Oriental descent, like it's such a mix. Like when we did the tent revival last summer, we had people come from the Irish traveling community. And you know, they're people that have have obviously been sort of um, looked down upon in society. They'd come to the services and, and, and this was their exact words, a family that had come. They said, we have not felt this welcome in any church as we are here at this tent revival. And it was just amazing. So we just thank God. It's not something we've tried to do. It's just um, I think people love authenticity. And I think one thing in the church is there has been prejudice, There has been discrimination. I've personally experienced it as well. You know, we have as a ministry when we've tried to work with people, push forward with different things, whether it's using venues or this and that. And, and we, we wonder, like, why, why are you saying no to us, but you're saying yes to everyone else? Like just just strange, strange things like that. But you can't put your finger on, but deep down, you know. Do you know what I'm saying. Mm. So, um, but we we just choose to love, forgive, and just sort of look beyond that stuff. But we we thank God that within our ministry and and the sort of people our ministry attracts is a complete complete mix. And um and I think that's what church should look like. I think that's what heaven will look like. So I think um, for the kingdom of God, it's important. I, I don't really think. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be segregated, you know, where one group is one one area or one group's in another area. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it's important. And I'm super happy that that God has given us a ministry like that, you know, because it's been so organic, you know, like you see now people try to do it, you know, to, you know, whether it's to mix it up to, you know, either make it look that way or either it's because of George Floyd or either. But with us, thank God way before that organically it's um it's just been like that you know so it's been pretty amazing to be honest so yeah
4: I guess because it's been organic I was going to ask for any advice that you may have for church leaders that want to diversify their their congregations I used to go to a church and it was primarily black Jamaican people Mm. primarily and they really wanted to bring in other Races. they wanted to but they just didn't know how and they didn't know whether they just didn't know where to start with it where do you start with something like that but I don't know if you would have advice on that if yours was an organic process but if you do yeah. I want to hear what advice yeah
0: you I I think one of the reasons it was organic is because whenever we're doing outreach or ministering and that sort of thing we're quick to involve people you know we're quick to just like regardless of you know, how long you've been saved, because religious folk will look at that stuff and keep distance, regardless of prejudice, regardless of anything created in my mind through uh, my social environment about an individual. I wouldn't let that dictate whether I embrace them or not, even in leadership, even having them preach, even having them on the platform. And I think that's been an issue where, um, you know, whatever side it is, but it's just kind of like, get them right in involved, not just on the sideline, not just on the welcome team, but actually get them involved, like in the main stuff, preaching, on the stage. And I think it's, it's not just racist, even with youth and young people. I feel sometimes even with youth, sometimes the elder generation won't take that risk and just sort of let the youth grab the microphone and just preach properly and just, you know, it's more kind of being extra careful and all of that. And I think that's why, like, when I'm traveling up and down the country now, in a lot of the sort of Pentecostal churches and circles, a lot of the youth, there's not many of them anymore. Like, it seems like it really, really has dwindled. And I think one of the reasons is, is because rather than fathers raising sons, fathers have almost tried to in a way compete with sons where we're not giving the youth that chance or taking that risk or you know and I think sometimes even in charismatic circles or Pentecostal circles we can have traditions of our own sometimes as well and sometimes we're so quick to look at like Catholics or others and and you know pointing the finger there but I think sometimes within religious structures and denominations sometimes we've got a just go beyond that, look beyond that, and just really, just that simplicity of just Christ saved us, Christ is raising up a generation of believers, and we can't let prejudices, stereotypes, um, even age, even how long someone's been saved, to kind of hinder or determine, you know, whether we let them in or whether we trust them or whether we take a risk you see what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah. But it's been organic for us. But I think there's been a reason why it's been organic as well, because we've not, you know, I think one good thing about not having relig- religion, you know, prior to encountering Christ is because I think you don't have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. You have to learn stuff. Don't get me wrong. But in, st- in terms of traditions, this is the way we do it. This is the way our denomination does it. This is the, w- like, it's almost like, yeah, It's just like, it's just super chilled and simple, but nonetheless, it's still serious and people know that, you know? So Mm. I think it's just finding that balance, really.
4: I love those points. Um, One point that I do want to kind of maybe ask you about is youth preaching. So there was a video a few months ago of a really young boy. He was about six or seven and he was preaching, Um, but he was more so preaching like how he saw other people preach and everyone in the comments was like oh he's just copying what people are saying does he really have the anointing um Mm. and i the church that i used to go to as well for example they didn't let the youth preach because they said that they're not spiritually mature enough Mm. how do you decipher maybe if there is a church leader listening how do you decipher that how do you know when to put someone up or maybe when to not put someone up because you don't want people running up and just saying whatever and they're not uh they just don't have the the spiritual weight to do that they don't want to hold people back either how do you decipher that as a as a a leader
0: yeah absolutely i'd say it's definitely not a free-for-all you know just let everyone anyone come up and give the mic to anyone i think it's it's literally just having that sensitivity to the spirit i think every once in a while there will be a gift in someone every once in a while, there'll be a key individual where it's not just height and it's not just momentum and they're literally carrying something. And, um, you know, I mean, it may not be as young as six or seven, but possibly in the teenage years or, you know I mean? That, that side of things, or even when they're 19, 18, like, because I've personally seen people that are gifted, but not getting that support from their church, whether it's evangelism and whether it's, whatever so I think it's definitely as a leader being spiritually minded having that discerning of spirits of recognizing that hang on a sec this isn't just someone wanting to grab the microphone there is an anointing on this person to deliver a message or to preach or you know there's a ministry there and and we've got to cultivate that and help bring that out rather than suppress and silence that so I definitely think it's balance, following the Holy Spirit when you see a gift in someone whether it's determination whether it's um a spiritual gift whether it's um passion for the lord i think that's where we've got to embrace embrace that person because sooner or later they'll otherwise they'll get passionate about drugs they'll get passionate about chasing women they'll get passionate about something else so i think the moment someone can encounters the lord you know like we as evangelists always say that like we catch the fish but then we've got a uh, give it to the pastors or or you know the church to kind of disciple that person so it's almost like catching someone when they've encountered god i've personally met people they've had a supernatural encounter with god but they've not had anyone to really embrace them support them a church to kind of encourage them or even help them with the next steps whether that's discipleship follow-up so i think it's not just about giving them a platform but also about helping to kind of develop them to get that platform if that makes sense mm. so whether that's the relevant mentorship training or whatever um because yeah i have seen individuals like just end up in prison after encountering the lord and you know even having a testimony and being used by god and it's sad really so um, it's definitely that balance because then there's that spectrum of people just want the platform you know people just want the the mm. microphone and the, and it's for the wrong reasons and i think that's where you know you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have that discerning of spirits to recognize motives and, you know, agendas and different things. So yeah.
4: I think that makes complete sense, man. Just just being in tune with the spirit and knowing, um, just knowing knowing what you have to know in order to push people forward and developing people as well, helping them really come along. Um, we've mentioned the tent revival, which I'm guessing is a place where people Encounter all kinds of supernatural, spiritual, godlike yeah. experiences. Yeah. Well, talk to me about that, then. So that is July the thirty-first, all the way through to the seventh of August. What yeah. is it all about?
0: Yeah. So the tent revival, really, it's us putting a stake in the ground, saying we as the body of Christ, we have to push for revival. We have to make a stand even when churches are being forced to be closed, when everyone else is allowed to be open, even when, um, you know, sort of baptism in the Holy Spirit hasn't been in churches where it's really been so needed. I always say church is more than a referral system where we just refer, refer, refer. Drug addict comes, we just refer them to the rehab centre. The church is more than that. We've got authority, power and the anointing to cast out of that demon of cocaine or marijuana or whatever it may be the church is more than a referral system even if someone's sick you know to just refer them to the clinic down the road you know we've got power to to see them healed through the name of jesus and that's not to say there's not a place for rehab centers and clinics of course there's a place for them but they don't take god's place you know god comes first and his ways are higher than the ways of this world so the tent revival. You know we're so excited about it. We've got people traveling from up and down the country. We've got, you know, groups traveling from Ireland, from different areas of England, and just, you know, we're so so excited about it. And really, it's an going to be an atmosphere of revival. Eight nights of worship of the presence of God of preaching the gospel and then giving that room for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, giving that room for people to encounter God. You know, we're the sort of people where within our ministry we're not bothered about a pleasing man to be honest with you so even when people encounter God we, we're not that fussed of of kind of like how it looks or this and that we're, we're literally we want God to move we want God to break out we want we want to see a revival a move of God hence why we're not doing a one-day event or a three-day conference you know we want to push through we want to see the the atmosphere of faith go up we want to see you know, just signs and wonders begin to break out. And anytime we've done a week long like this, it's always when we push through to night number five, six, seven, eight, sometimes even nine, 10, that we see things that you wouldn't normally see in conferences and one day events because we've really broken through in the atmosphere of. Prayer and praise, and you know, and it's just the anointing and the atmosphere is just charged. It really, really is charged to the point where we've seen, you know, amazing miracles take place. Blind eyes open up, people get healed supernaturally. We've had um, people even, marriages get restored. People bring, you know, their drugs or their cigarettes to the altar to say, I don't want to live for the devil anymore. I want to live in holiness. It's just such an amazing time. So I'd encourage everyone listening to get to the tent revival. You know, I know that there's other festivals and other sort of worship gatherings happening, but, you know, with this, a focus on revival, a focus on, you know, really seeking God and pursuing him and, you know, pushing for miracles and all of that, you know, it's, it's a unique thing. It's something that would have happened years ago, you know, with revivals like this tent missions. It's a very, old-fashioned thing with the tent revivals that happened you know in revivals in the past you know so god put it on our heart and um we're so so looking forward to it. it's happening in bedfordshire for those that wish to register can register at tentrevival.co.uk and it's free admission
1: people just need to get there that was Premieres cassandra in conversation with the evangelist daniel chand If you're listening right now on Premier Christian Radio, you can access loads more great interviews like that on The Profile podcast. Just search for The Profile, wherever you normally get your podcasts from, or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. And if you are listening to us on podcast right now, we would so appreciate it if you could give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover and enjoy the show. So why not do that? We recommend a five out of five rating, but give us whatever you think is fair. A rating and a review really goes a long way. And we're very grateful to you for doing that. So thank you. That does bring us to the end of the show. You've been listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio this afternoon. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Take care and God bless.